0: This morning, we're going to be in John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, all the way through verses 17. It contains one of the most famous passages known in the West. Anybody have any guesses what it is, John chapter 3? All right. What is it? Or just start it for me. For God so loved the world world that he gave his only son. We're going to look at the context of that. What was, who was Jesus speaking to? Why, why was that an important thing to say in that moment? Who was in need of grace? We've looked at James and John. We've looked at children. We've looked at people in need of healing. And this morning, we're going to look at someone who we would consider a respectable leader in the community, a scholar, a theologian even, and that's Nicodemus. Why, why would someone like Nicodemus need grace? I want you to think of it like this. Have you ever cherished something because you felt it gave you a sense of significance? Uh, did, you know, I may not be good at many things, but I'm good at this. And therefore, I have value, I have significance. Maybe it even helps define who you are, your identity. Maybe you're a great business person. Maybe you're a fine craftsman. Maybe you're just a fantastic mom. Something. Something that required effort, something that required skill, uh, grit, even to get to the point that you're at. And now you have the stellar reputation for that thing. You are amazing. And you find that it's not enough. That's where Nicodemus is. Nicodemus uh, is a theologian, he's a Pharisee, which is a particular school of thought in early Judaism. He's a man of accomplishment and reputation, and he cherishes it, but it's not enough. He needs something more, and, and, and he sees something in Jesus, and that's why he goes to him. He's not sure what he's looking for, but he's hoping that Jesus will reveal it. So I ask you the question, are you in need of something more? Have you come to church this morning, and you feel good about life in general, but you know not enough? Have you come to church not even sure what you're looking for? Well, I invite you this morning to explore the scriptures with me, and let's see what Jesus has for us. John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher. It's a very formal way of, you know, In our day and age, we might refer to someone as a professor, say, professor or doctor. Dr. Jesus, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Would you pray with me? Lord and Father, we come to you this morning, and we do ask that as you have been with us already in worship, that you would continue to be with us by your Spirit as we submit ourselves to your Word. We pray that the Spirit might open our eyes, open our ears, soften our hearts to receive the message you have for us, a hard message that, that our goodness and our righteousness earns us nothing with you. Teach us more about your mercy and your love that we might be comforted by it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I have a little bit of show and tell here. had some logistic problems with this earlier today, but let's see if we can do this. Anybody know what this is? A hammer. What do we do with hammers? We hit stuff. Usually what we hit with a hammer is a nail. We're trying to nail something in. Typically, we're trying to put maybe two pieces of wood together. We take a nail and we hammer it in there. This is a little tougher. Anybody know what this is? You know, you know I, I don't really know exactly what to call it. Like, there's no easy way to, to refer to this thing. Uh, the way they refer to it on, uh, you know, on Lowe's is it's a low velocity powder actuated fastener. Doesn't really roll off the tongue. But what you do is, <clears throat> so you take two pieces of wood and, and you have a little cartridge of gunpowder that you put in there. And then you, I'm not really going to fire this off, by the way. <laughs> I just, I don't want you to be concerned. But you, you, you push down on it, and then the trigger, and then they, it hits the gunpowder, and bam! Now, if I were to do it right here, I might send the nail all the way through the, uh, the dais here. You use it with nails, but with hard surfaces like concrete. So these two things, they have to do with nails, and they have to do with fastening. So these two things are interchangeable, right? You, you, you don't sound confident about it. No, these two are not interchangeable. When, uh, when you need uh, a nail gun, I know that's not the right name for it, but I'm just going to talk about it that way because the other name's too long to say. Uh, when you need that kind of a nail gun with concrete services and you use a hammer, it's not going to get the job done and you're going to make a mess of things. You're going to mess up the floor. You're going to mess up that piece of wood. You're going to mess up the uh, nail. And when you need a hammer and you decide you want to use this, uh, well, that, that's that's a recipe for a high-scale destruction. They're not interchangeable. <clears throat> Got to use the right tool for the job. Nicodemus was trying to do something with the wrong tools. He was an accomplished person. He worked very hard to get to the position that he was in, he studied, he trained, maybe he navigated politics, and he made it. I mean, he's not just a scholar, he's a scholar in a time when the scholars ran the show. But he sees Jesus, and he sees something in Jesus that he desires, and he knows that he doesn't have. Jesus is clearly from God, but Jesus doesn't fit the grid. Jesus isn't using the same tools that Nicodemus is using. So he wants to find out, Make sense of this for me, Jesus, although he isn't ready to let go of the tools that have served him thus far in life. Not yet, anyway. And he's holding on to his respect and his accomplishments, his understanding of how things works. And holding on to those tools that are wrong for the job that he wants gets in the way of using the right tools. The question for us as we look at Nicodemus and we watch him go through some of these stages of letting go of the wrong tool is what tools are we using? In trying to be in right relationship with God and if you're not a Christian and you're not really sure God even exists, I would say just get right with the universe. How do you know you're a worthy person? How do you know that you are the person you should be? What tools are you using to diagnose that to become the and even become the person uh, you you think you should be? Are are you using the tool of your your own wisdom, uh, your your business acumen, uh, your your way with people, maybe even your theological expertise? What Jesus is trying to point out is so that whatever tools you've been using that are, that are ways of the world, you need to let go of those. Lose, you need to let go of the things that have made you respectable if it gets you in the way of receiving the grace that you need from Jesus. It may sound simple, but man, it is hard. And sometimes you need to go through a process. You see a process in this conversation of, of Nicodemus being curious, but not eh, wanting to hold on to the wrong tool, the respectability, and so he conceals. He conceals his curiosity. And then when he's trying to understand Jesus, he gets confused. And finally, when Jesus really puts, puts, puts it to him, you need to let go of all this other stuff, he closes himself off. No, Jesus, you can't be right. We have to walk through those steps as well. Let's see what we can learn from Nicodemus. Now, as I said, Nicodemus is a respected scholar uh, in his day. <clears throat> but he knows Jesus who seems to defy every current definition of success, he knows Jesus is a man of God. This is, this is how it describes, uh, This is how John describes it, verse 2. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, teacher, we know you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs you do unless God is with him. Jesus, I, I, I can see you, you, you don't make sense in some ways, but it's obvious that nonetheless God is with you. This doesn't compute for me. Help explain it. I need to find out what it is that you have that I am missing. But he wants to hold on to his respect, his reputation. You know, a respected scholar does not publicly go to an amateur to get wisdom. That would undermine his reputation. At least he doesn't doesn't do it in front of everybody. That's why he goes at night. He's concealing his curiosity. He, he really likes his hammer. He wants to keep hold of that hammer, even though he knows it's not the right tool for the job, or at least he has some sense of its shortcomings. He goes under cover of dark because he wants to play both sides. You know, we're like that too. We like to play both sides. We have the sense that something is right over here, but boy, this has served us well. They don't go together, but maybe I can, you know, balance the two. We're, we're in business. We love the rough and tumble of, uh, of business and closing the deal and competing with other people. Maybe even we like some of the ruthlessness of it. In relationships, you know, we, we consider ourselves people who really know how to navigate our family or other people, even if it takes sometimes some manipulative tactics, some relational uh, uh, violations of integrity. But we can get what we want but we also know Jesus has something for us. You know, uh, how do we balance these things? Um, We don't want to do it in front of people because people can then point out the inconsistency and they might criticize us. Uh, We might lose some respect. We don't want that. It's none of their business anyway. This is my business. And we use our self-righteousness as a way of deflecting our fear of losing something while we're playing both sides. But eventually... We have to make up our mind. Who are we going to serve? Many of you know I was a campus minister at the University of South Carolina for many years. And that's a picture of the campus right there. Horseshoe It's a beautiful part of the campus. I was there a lot, actually, in one of those buildings there, Rutledge. Rutledge Chapel, I used to preach there on a regular basis. But I met this student. We're going to call him Mark for our story. Uh, Mark, uh, sharp mind, uh, he, had a, he had a kind of a sharp personality to go with it. You know he's, uh, he's a little sharp around the edges. Uh, he was a man of science and math. He was a mathematics major, a skeptic about many things. I remember one of the most, most uh, vigorous conversations we had about whether or not we really landed on the moon. Uh, he loved to mix it up. But he, was, he wasn't a Christian. But he was friends with many of the students that were in the fellowship that I was uh, leading. And he, lo- and he would come to social events at my home and on campus. It was during the, the, the age when the X-Files was sort of the big thing. We'd have a big X-Files party. We'd jam 30 students into my house. Uh, and he, he would love the hospitality. But he was dating a young lady who was uh, not a skeptic. She was hostile to the Christian faith. I mean, angry about it. So while he would come to social events, he would never come to a Bible study, he would never come to a weekly fellowship meeting, because that would cause too much turbulence in his dating relationship. And then, and I was thinking about this as I was writing the sermon, 20 years ago this summer, his girlfriend went to study abroad in Ireland, and he decided to come to our summer Bible study. Um, Perhaps he thought I could conceal my curiosity about Christ and what's going on in this college fellowship i can hold on to both worlds uh by hiding it i can i can i can maybe avoid having to choose and then in the midst of that bible study he came to christ and he knew the time of living in both worlds was over now sometimes we try to conceal the fact that we're living in two worlds and I understand it. It, it is understandable. But, but it keeps us from knowing the fullness of life in Christ. Now, some of us try to hide our desire to want to know Jesus better because it's going to look bad for, you know, at work. It won't look good. Some of us hide uh, that we trust too much the tools of the world. We hold on tightly to the ways that we've known and trusted. But what Jesus is going to be saying to Nicodemus is that you've got to let go. You've got to let go of the wrong tools so you can embrace what Jesus has to say about living well. The fact that you're hiding shows there's a problem. But Jesus nonetheless receives Nicodemus at night. He's okay with that. But letting go is going to be hard for Nicodemus. It would be hard for, for, for all of us, really. Nicodemus is struggling to understand what God is up to in Jesus. Essentially, he's a teacher of the law who comes to Jesus and says, teach me. And so Jesus does. Verse 3, Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You've got to be born again. Now, in the 21st century West, this is a phrase that's familiar to us, even if we don't always Fully understand what, what it means. But to Nicodemus, this is bizarre. What do you mean I need to be born again? And he points out his perplexity about it. Verse four How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now, may, maybe uh, Nicodemus is just being too literal about it. Um, but he's, he's trusting his own understanding of the scriptures and the way the world works. And he, he, receives what, or he hears what Jesus says, but he's confused by it. And because he's not really opening himself up yet, holding on to things from his past that he trusts, trying to hear what Jesus says, they don't go together. This is confusing. How can, the, how can a man be born again? So Jesus explains further, verse 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So we need to delve into a little bit here what Jesus is, is saying, being born of water and the Spirit. What does that mean? Well, some people think that being born of water is talking about baptism. I think more likely, though, that G- Jesus is talking about the, the physical and the spiritual, and that physically, you need to be born physically, you're born of water, You know, when there is a birth, not to be too graphic about it, there is a purge of water, amniotic fluid. Yes, you need to be born of a woman. You need to be born of water, but you also need to be born of the Spirit. What does that mean? We need a new life. We need an undoing of the spiritual uh, death that we are born into physically. Sin, corruption uh, are bent to uh, serve ourselves no matter the cost to the people around us. We need a new principle of life at work in us that actually shows love, compassion, and and care, and concern. I need a new life. I need to be born again for that to really flesh itself out. And it happens through mystical and mysterious means because the agent of that birth, the Spirit of God, is mysterious. Mysterious mysterious in the sense of not in the sense of you 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 can't understand it at all but in the sense of he confounds our understanding he 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 acts consistently but there's no controlling him that's a hard thing for an expert you know the reason you study things is to master them and if you want to master something it means you want to be in control and Jesus is saying you want to be born of the spirit You're not in control. You're not going to get it through the ordinary means. It doesn't come through mastering the material or hard work or academic accomplishment. It doesn't even come through memorizing Scripture. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. You know what that means? It means easily he had the whole five books of Moses committed to memory, if not the entire Old Testament. This man memorized Scripture. And I don't want to say you shouldn't memorize scripture. I don't want to say that you shouldn't work hard. These are valuable tools. They're just not the right tool for this job, coming to God, seeing the kingdom of heaven, knowing salvation. You don't get it through hard work. Now, Jesus doesn't point it out right here in this verse. He does it a little bit later. But what is the right tool? What, how does being born again come? Well, it comes through trust. It comes through faith. It comes belief. through belief, not in our own work, but in the gift of the Son of God. That is how one is born again. That's how we see the kingdom of God. And embracing that truth means that Nicodemus needs to do something that experts are loath to do, and that's start over. Start at the beginning. He needs to tear down his paradigm of study and memorization, excelling in debate with other Pharisees and rulers uh, he needs to tear down this idea that he can earn his place with God through his own righteousness, and he's got to start the journey over. Ooh, that's a, man! Ooh, I hate it when people tell me I got to start over. There's a tired old story, but boy, it fits this, this, this setting well. There's a family that decides to get in the car for a vacation. They all pile in, and uh, I know we all have GPSs today, but imagine their phone. Their phone has gone dead, or they're in a dead spot, but no need to worry. The driver knows exactly uh, where he or she is going. We can just go ahead and get on that highway and start heading out on our vacation. And the first part of that travel is wonderful. People are talking and laughing and playing games. And and then a half an hour passes and an hour passes. And then 90 minutes into it, it's like, you know, the scenery doesn't look quite the way we think it should. And then two hours, the driver says, I need to get clarification. They stop somewhere at a gas station, a convenience store. And they say, hey, we're heading to this city. We're going the right way, right? This is the, this is the road. It's, so, oh, oh, no. Uh, you needed to head in the exact opposite direction. You need to go back to where you came from. That is an unpleasant moment. <laughs> and uh, I'm not guessing about it either because I've been there. It, it's, it's perplexing, it's humiliating. I mean, I've invested so much in going down this road. And then, and then we kind of ask ourselves, well what, well, what should I do? Which is the dumbest question I can ask. It's patently obvious what I should do. I need to turn around and go back to where I started from. Letting go of what you have done, how you're doing it, turn around, go the other way. It's simple, but it's so hard. And the moment can be so hard that sometimes we we do something that is absolutely illogical. We deny the truth. We tell the convenience store guy, I'm just going to keep heading this way. Holding on to worldly ways and understanding closes us off to the truth. You know, Jesus tells Nicodemus something that doesn't jive with his understanding of spirituality, his scholarship. And this is where things start to get confrontational. Nicodemus says, How can these things be? And a generous reading might be: well, he's just trying to press in further for for understanding. Uh, uh, no, no, no. He's saying, Jesus, you can't be right. What you're saying is nonsensical. Jesus, you're wrong. And Jesus gets confrontational right back. And he says, are you a teacher of the law and you don't get this? Now, there are a few things harder to receive than an expert hearing that he doesn't know what he's talking about. cuts to the core of his or her self-conception. It's it's basically hearing that what they most value about themselves is of little value to God. We think we have something to offer God that gives us a sense of of safety, of security. See, God, I've done these things. I've accomplished this. I've done this for you. I am worthy, am I not? And it's a lie. It's a lie we all tell ourselves. And when we get confronted with that truth, whew, you know, insecurity starts sinking in. We start to be, become fearful, maybe even panic. And none of us like feeling that way. I would much, I, I, I prefer another emotion to fear. Any guess what that emotion is? Anger. You're wrong. I'm right. I'm safe. Nicodemus has come wanting to understand spiritual truths. Jesus points out that he is the man from heaven come to earth to tell us earthly things and spiritual things. And we tell him, you know, you can't be right about that. I hear what you're saying, Jesus, but you're wrong. You know, when Jesus tells us that closing the deal or the promotion or keeping our youthful appearance or doing anything that also accrues to us the admiration of the people around us, our peers. Jesus tells us, when Jesus tells us that these things gain us up nothing of real value, and certainly nothing with God, we insist, no, Jesus, you're wrong. <clears throat> you know, on the on occasion, I as a pastor, I have the privilege, I put it in quotes, of working with people, and, and, and helping them, you know, there's a problem in their life. Uh, and helping them put that right, and, and, but also helping them see that at certain points uh, there's some self-deception going on. Not that I'm right about everything all the time. I'm not. But sometimes it's, whoa, there's a big, some big self-deception going on here. How can I help this person? And the moment where we begin talking about that, it's usually very unpleasant for the both of us. Most of us don't like to hear that we're lying to ourselves. And most of us, when we're giving advice, don't like pushback. I certainly don't like hearing, Daryl, I don't know what you're talking about, but you're out of your mind. But I've learned not to take offense, at least most of the time, um, on my good days. Why? Because I know that's when we're getting to the heart of the matter. Well, we're getting close to the core. That there aren't any plausible defenses, defenses left to hide behind. There's just the bare, brazen, naked insistence, I'm right. I have to be right. You have to be wrong. And that's where Nicodemus is. But Jesus is merciful with this. He might be a little frustrated with him, but he's merciful and he's patient. And so Jesus decides to go with Nicodemus's expertise, the law. And he goes to the story in the Torah, in the law, in Numbers, and talks about the serpent in the wilderness. Verse 14, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, for those of us who aren't familiar with the story, Jesus kind of loses us there. This is a strange reference. What is he trying to say? But Nicodemus knew it very well and understood the connection he was making. Uh, For those of us that are less familiar with it, Jesus is referring to something in Numbers uh, chapter 21. The people were speaking against Moses and God again, and the Lord decides to send some discipline among the people. He sends these serpents among the people. I don't know if they came across a colony of poisonous steaks, whatever it is. And the people are being bitten, and some are dying from, from snake bites. So they plead with Moses to intercede with God on their behalf. And so God says, okay, Moses, this is what I want you to do. You fashion a snake out of bronze, and you put it on a pole, and you're going to lift it up. And when the people look to it for healing, they will live. They will live. Jesus knows that Nicodemus is familiar with the story, and he points out, that the source of Israel's judgment, the source of their offense, the thing that's, going to, that's bringing them low will now become the object of their salvation. The thing they revile, that will be lifted up as they look to it for healing. Jesus at times cuts us to the core. And we think, oh, Jesus is so mean. No. He's the one who's going to save us. The Son of Man, Jesus, will be lifted up on a cross, on a pole. And and as we look to Him and His sacrifice for healing, we too will live. Why does God do this? Verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son in the world to condemn the world, Nicodemus, right now you feel like I'm tearing you down, I'm breaking you down, I'm taking everything that's valuable to you, and you feel condemned, but I'm not here to condemn you. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. You know, we keep insisting that we can make God proud. But this time, we're going to do it better. We're going to offer up our righteousness. We're going to be a better dad. We're going to be a better mom. We're going to be a better worker. We're going to be a better member of the church. And then God will have reason to love me. Oh, don't you see? That's the wrong tool for that job. God offers you mercy freely that you might become worthy. He'll make you worthy. And to grab hold of faith in Christ, we need to turn from trusting in ourself. We need to use the right tool for the job, or we're going to make a real mess of things. You know, in this passage, we don't see how, John, uh, how Nicodemus responds to Jesus. We just sort of move on to the next story. And maybe John does that as the author to sort of create space to leave the jury out and, and have us ask ourselves the question, how would we respond to Jesus? But it's not the last time we hear about Nicodemus in the Gospel of John. The next time we hear about him is in uh, chapter 7 when the, the priests and, and, and the Pharisees are getting so frustrated with Jesus. They're going to call him in and, and, and put him on trial, but, but they can't bring him in. So they, they're thinking, maybe we're, we'll just put him on trial uh, when he's not here in absentia. And Nicodemus stands up and goes, brothers, uh, that's, that's not the law. This is not our way. He uses the law to defend Jesus. But more revealing is after Jesus' death on the cross. He partners with Joseph of Arimathea, who's described as a secret disciple. And Joseph secures the body of Jesus, and Nicodemus helps prepare the body for burial, John 19. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. And so they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. These men took Jesus' body, and they washed it. They prepared it, and they carefully wrapped it in these linen cloths. If that's not an act of love, I don't know what is. In fact, more than that, I would say it's an act of worship. Change came hard for Nicodemus, but it did come. Jesus was patient with Nicodemus as he was learning to let go of the tools of the world. And he's going to be patient with you. The question is, are you on that path? The question is not, have you let go? Are you still struggling? The question is, are you on the path of letting go, of walking through the fear, the confusion, the confrontation even with Jesus? It's necessary. Or are you content to live in both worlds? Jesus calls us to let go of the things we've trusted in, to gain respect, to let go of the things that, that define us, and trust him to do it for us, to let him define us. Will you walk that path this week? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity we've had to be with you this morning, and we do pray that um, you would impress upon us your love and your mercy. That you do it for us. That even our religious um, devotion is not something that earns us favor with you. Help us to believe the truth that you loved us so much you sent your only son that you might redeem us. And would that change us? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.